God, you can take your seats. Amen. Hasn't it been a great time this morning? It's fantastic, isn't it, to be in in God's house? And it's just awesome. You know, when we've just sung that song, He has done great things. How many of you actually believe that sometimes, you know? We sing it, but we, we say the words, don't we? As Tim said this morning, a lot of the time, you know, we sing these worship songs and we don't realize the words we're singing, but I was in a place yesterday where... Isn't it good to hear about the healing that happened with the epilepsy this morning? I was in a place yesterday where I heard a testimony from a pastor of a very, very big church in Birmingham. And this pastor was telling us the story of a person who came who wasn't saved to the church. And this, this lady basically got, got healed of cancer. And as she got healed of cancer, she went away from the church for a while, but eventually she came back. And she brought her partner as well. And her partner had got AIDS. And this pastor tells the story that several weeks ago when they traveled to Texas, just before he got on the plane, these people had been coming to the church for a year. And just before he got onto the plane to leave, after praying for these people for a year, this guy phoned him from the hospital and said, I've just been healed of AIDS. They cannot find AIDS in my body. How amazing is that? You know... And sometimes we, we just, each day we go out and we, we, we think we believe what we, we say. But as Tim stopped us this morning and said, and just remind us of them words that we were singing. Sometimes I sing worship songs, you know, and I don't realize what I'm singing. But there's so much truth behind it. And Charles Wesley, when he wrote the hymns years ago, there used to be so much in his hymns that it was almost like preaching. And we've just got to take hold of some of these things we sing sometimes and really do believe it. If you want to turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke 22, I'm just going to take a short time. I'll try and take a short time to just bring a few things to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Luke 22. This story we're about to read is the story, many of you know it, it's about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you've seen many of the films on TV, especially The Passion of Christ, it starts right in the Garden of Gethsemane, where, where Jesus is praying, and we all know the story very, very well. I mean, yesterday I was even watching um, a little bit of a movie, and every movie that shows the Christ crucifixion, it always shows this scene that Jesus is praying and asking for God to take away the suffering that he's about to go through. Let's just read this story. It says in verse 39, Luke 22, verse 39 says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He drew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you, asleep? Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up 
And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting his ear off. But Jesus answered and said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Amen. Amen. I just want to talk to you this morning about a few things. I don't want to spend too long, but I just want to share with you what I feel God has shared with me about this story. You know, when we read this story, a lot of the time, we tend to pick up that it's about the suffering of Jesus going to the cross, and that's true. But I just want to talk to you about a few other things this morning that I picked up from this story, because I believe that this story also talks about the disciples' suffering as well. Many of you see on TV, you turn on God TV, and many of the time I turn on God TV and turn it straight back off again. But many of you turn on God TV today, and you will see many, many things that talk about blessings and great things that God will do for you, victory in your life. And that's all good, and it's true. There's many things in the Bible that talk about the victories and the blessings of God. We sung about this morning that every blessing that you pour out, God wants to pour out blessings upon us abundantly. But it's very rarely that you'll switch the channel on and you'll keep the channel on when it talks about suffering. There's not many of us would have a fridge magnet on that talks about suffering. We all want the fridge magnets that talk about success and things that are going to happen for the benefit of us. But when it comes to suffering, we kind of push that aside. And even though this story talks about Jesus' suffering, I just want to bring these points to you this morning. A few things just to help us from this garden experience that we read about. You know, when you came a Christian, or if you're not a Christian this morning, many of you might find that when you came a Christian, you heard the gospel, but you never heard so much about the suffering that might come. And you might think this morning, this is a, a bad message. If somebody wants to get saved, for me to talk about suffering is a bad thing. Maybe we need to bring them in and to attract them by the gospel. But doesn't the word of God tell us this, that we're supposed to declare the truth and the truth will set them free? You know, I want to preach the truth this morning. The truth is this, that if anyone, anyone gets saved and is born again of the spirit of God and comes into a relationship with Christ, you will undergo suffering. We read many, many times in the Bible that many of the disciples, many of the apostles, Paul, they suffered for Jesus' name. But sometimes we don't put these things on the fridge. We put the best things on. Let me just take you through a few of these things this morning. First point from this story I want to bring out is, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised by any suffering. You know, we can have many, many great seasons with God, can't we? We can come here, we can experience good things. We hear about the healings. I've been in healing meetings, I've been with Peter. Uh, when we first started to see the outpouring of God's Spirit touching people and healing people. One night we saw some amazing stuff in, just over in Saffron Walden. Where about, I can't remember how many got healed, but Pete will remember. But there's a good few people at the front were getting healed right in front of our eyes. And I've been in these meetings, conferences, where I've really felt such a strong presence of God. I've been so happy inside. And I've never even thought about suffering. But when suffering comes, when trials come, you know, suffering is not just pain, but it can be trials and troubles in your life. 
I can guarantee you that every single person in this room, no one can come here this morning and be holy Joe and be free of all their problems. Every single person in this room has problems today, including me. You know, each week when I go to work, I struggle. Each day I wake up, I have to declare God's promises, but I struggle. And even more so as a Christian sometimes, it's difficult because we're fighting with our flesh. There's many, many things that come against us and we feel the enemy attacking us. But in these great seasons that we can have, how many of you know, and you'd all put your hands up to say this morning, that there in your life has been trials, troubles, things you're probably going through now that you find so difficult to handle that you may not even feel like coming to the church today. That's how bad it can get. And you know, what we pick up from this story, the first thing I want to say is don't be surprised. Because here, the disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane. They were in a place where it says in the Bible, if you read it, it says that they met there very regular. This was a place where they met to pray. It was a place of comfort for them. It was a place where the guys would go with Jesus. If you imagine a place now, your favorite restaurant, your favorite park, that place where you go, where you know that no one can kind of bother you with your problems. There's not many places you can find that because then there's a mobile phone. And Emma always tells me not to keep my mobile phone on. Especially now I can get email. (laughs) But there's not many places. But we all know there's places that we can go that we can kind of push it all aside. Places of comfort. And it says, the word of God tells us this. That they went to this place of comfort every day. They used to go past this place. It was on the way to Lazarus' home. So they spent a lot of time in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. But this particular occasion that we read about, it talks about that something happened in that place. Jesus was praying that the suffering would be averted from him. He wouldn't have to suffer what was about to come. But also it says that when he's praying, and he's praying in the garden, that he goes back to the disciples, and he several times he says to them, you need to pray that you won't be tempted. Because they're suffering. Their suffering is this, that they, he says they're tired from sorrow. Tired from sorrow. You know, many times we read in the Bible, I used to read that story, I'd watch the films and I used to think, these guys are just tired, the flesh is weak, they're tired, they don't want to pray. Jesus keeps telling them to pray and because it's probably late at night, they find it difficult to pray. And that's true, we all find it difficult to pray sometimes. Many times I've gone upstairs and I will fully admit to you that I will go upstairs determined to pray And then, a few hours later, Emma finds me asleep on the bed, snoring. And she has to wake me up. Because sometimes I'm so tired with the things I'm doing at work. But you know, God looks at our heart, he looks at us and he says, you know, you're going to pray. So just because I didn't pray for the full length of time. And many, many times we do get tired. But here it tells us that the guys were tired from sorrow. Now if you look at that, if they're tired from sorrow, they're, they're sorrowful because of what they've just heard. In the previous In the previous scriptures we read, the first few stories before that, Jesus tells them that soon he's about to leave them. None of them can understand it. But he says, soon I'm about to leave you. Soon I'm about to go to a place that you can't go. And they can't understand it because their saviour, that they've followed around in times of blessing, in the healing meetings that we go in, they saw healing straight in front of their eyes. The next minute, Jesus tells them, after all this time, thanks for following me, but do you know soon I'm going? How much of a shot would that have been for them? And they're in the garden here, in their place of comfort where they would go every day and wander by and and hide and pray and spend time with God. 
Spend time listening to Jesus as he taught them things. But the next minute, their saviour is on his knees, dripping like sweat, like uh, drops of blood, in agony. The, The Bible titles sections of this, and it says, Jesus agonizes in the garden. The same Jesus we sing about, it says he agonized in the garden. And these guys, they must have been looking, thinking, what on earth is happening? I thought everything was spot on. I thought we had a saviour that was going to rescue us, was going to rescue Jerusalem, was going to do everything we wanted to do. Now it's all crumbling around us. This isn't what we want. This is not our plan. And you know, sometimes when we see these things happen, we then think it's the enemy. We look and say, this is the enemy that's doing this. It's not God. The trouble that's coming is, is of the enemy. And we see that Peter responds and cuts the guy's ear off. I want to ask you this morning, ask you the question, do you think, do you really think that you should experience difficulties and troubles? What gospel have you heard when you got saved? What gospel have you heard that says that you should never experience trouble? I want to ask you that question because I tell you, all through my life of a Christian, it says that we will work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We have to work it out. It's not clear and plain the day that it it comes to you, you, the day you accept it. Every single day is a process. You learn more. You understand more. And I want to challenge you this morning through these things. I want to challenge you and say, what's the gospel you've heard? Are you really, do you really think you should be suffering or do you think it should be a lifetime of blessing? The blessing comes, but there's also suffering as well. Can you just turn with me? I'm not going to get you to turn many places this morning, but if you just turn with me to this scripture in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 7. Let's just look at what 1 Peter has to say about this. Hallelujah. That's verse 3 to 7, 1 Peter 1. It says, Praise be to the God and the Father Of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy. He has given us new birth. Into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance. That can never perish. Spoil or fade. Kept in heaven for you. Who through faith. Are shielded by God's power. Until the coming of the salvation. That is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the part where it all changes. In this you greatly rejoice, though, though, now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Let me read that again. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Hallelujah. You know, the first part of that scripture, what we've just read, talks about, it speaks about what happens when you get saved. It says that what Jesus has done, he's given you an inheritance that won't spoil, it won't fade. It talks about all these things, what Jesus has done for you. But then it follows on and it says this, which is the true gospel. It says you're going to suffer. Expect it. Expect suffering. Expect things in your lives to go wrong sometimes. Sometimes it could be God, sometimes it could be the enemy. We know that there's two different things. 
But what the first part of that scripture tells us is this. It says sin is your real problem. This morning for us, the main problem that we've all got is sin. That's the only thing that you've got to worry about. Sin. You can't deal with it. That's why you need Jesus. Your flesh is so weak, you'll never be able to deal with sin. It's going to take you down if you don't go to the Savior and ask for forgiveness. It will bring death. So, Jesus, so, so what it says in this scripture is that Jesus is basically giving us the gift of eternal life. An inheritance that will never spoil or fade. But then it goes on to say this. Expect trials. Expect trouble. Sin is your problem. Not your trials. Trials are problems, but that's your main problem. And to be saved, let me tell you this, is not a life free of problems. It's not, all my problems have gone. You know, when I got saved, for, at, the, at first, everything seemed really good. I used to listen to the worship songs in the car. I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, even at work, because I'm allowed to listen to music at work. And I used to listen to preaching, everything, constantly all day. To the point where I had the earphones on, I never spoke to anyone. Then I realized that actually I should start speaking to someone. It's actually better to speak to someone rather than just being filled, filled, filled all the time. It's better to actually show interest in other people rather than blotting it all out. But I realized that I got so happy with everything. Things were going good for me and Emma and we were really blessed in our Christian walk. But it wasn't long before you take the car in. We bought a new car and after three years it needs its MOT. The MOT starts failing. Things start to go wrong. You start looking at your life thinking, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. So many years ago, I gave my heart to God. And I thought that Jesus was going to give me a life free of problems. Now, I'm finding myself here, stood in the garage, waiting to pay a check for £250 to get the car suspension done. What's going wrong? What on earth is going wrong? Many, many times. I remember, I used to feel blessed when... um, I had a, a magazine. Somebody told me at work, they said, you can get 30% discount from Ridgins Building Merchants. And I thought to myself, this is fantastic. This is a blessing from God. This is a blessing from God. Thank you, God, for giving me this, this ability to be able to go and buy all these materials we need to do the house up with 30% off because I'm a man who likes to get a deal. I'll tell you. And if I, if I haven't got a deal, I'll challenge someone for it. But I thought, this is amazing. Work told me this. So I drove down one morning to Ridgens Building Store, many of you might know it, up near my work, and I went in there to ask about the details of what discount I could get to check whether what they told me was really true, because I was so amazed by it. I went in there and I spoke to the guy, he says, yeah, anything you want, mate, anything you want, you can have with 30% discount. And I did this just before I was on my way to work, because it's just around the corner. So I got back in the car, and as I get back in the car, and I'm just happy, and I've got the brochure, Sat on the front and I'm thinking, this is a blessing, you know. God knew that he positioned me in this job. That he knew at this particular time, I'm going to need some new doors in the house. I'm going to need these things. And he's just shown me through someone else, you can have 30% off. This is a blessing. I've got the nice glossy brochure. Right, I'm off to work now. And I started to pull out of Ridgins Building Store. All of a sudden, the car just jolted as I went out of Ridgins Building Store. Little did I realize, I'd just gone out of the inward access straight over the prongs and bust all the tires on the car I waited a while till I phoned Emma to tell her what I'd done I really did I waited a while but then I phoned my dad up next to check to see how to fix a tire without having to get someone to come out because again I was trying to save money but in the end I just couldn't do it and I had to phone up the tire place around the corner 
and it cost me 60, 70 quid for him to come around and collect me and to do this and to fix the tire. But can you see what I'm saying is we sometimes think, and it's true, God blesses us. He gives us things and we have to identify. The Bible tells us, it says in Deuteronomy 8, I think it says, don't forget what God's done. Don't forget the blessings that I've, as I've brought you through and the desert. Don't forget the things because I have brought blessing. But at the same time, we have to expect that there's problems as well. Jesus said this, didn't he? He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In other translations it says this, cheer up, cheer up. Instead of, but take heart, it says, cheer up and be courageous. Be courageous. So what's the reason for these trials and why do we get these trials? It says, we read this, it says, these have come. In First Peter it said, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. Trials come to test our faith. That's what it says. It simply says that the trials are coming to test your faith, where your faith is really at. And it says this, that faith is more valuable than gold. That looking at this, it says it's more valuable than gold. That's what God is looking at. He's looking in your heart to see where is your faith really at. And if we don't accept these trials, if we don't accept the things that may come sometimes, the troubles, the difficulties that you might be going through, if we don't accept them, we're in danger of breaking the second commandment. I know all my commandments now because of where the master, well I think I do, but the teaching course we had. But the second commandment said this, to have a God, to make a God in your own image. You might think, I don't do all them things, they're the serious things. They're the serious commandments. I don't break them. There's little ones I do, you know. Even the stealing, you know. I might have stolen some of it when I'm younger, but just a little sweet from a shop. But let me tell you that we can easily do this. This commandment can easily be broken. We can start to make our God into what we want. So we don't accept the trials. We say, God, these things are not for us. When we're saved, we're blessed, that's it. These things shouldn't happen. And we can be endangered of breaking that second commandment. And if people don't accept these trials, what then happens is, what I said earlier, people will accept the gospel for the wrong reason. If someone came here today and I preached the the gospel to them and said, your life is going to be great. Nothing will ever happen. Do you know, people will probably accept it and then they'd filter away. I remember the moment I got saved and and I was in the back room and the guys prayed for me, the moment... And I'll never forget this. The moment after the guys prayed for me, one person came to me and said this, expect some trouble. I'll never forget it. He said that to me, expect some trouble. And you probably think that's not the best thing to say to someone when they've just got saved. It is. Because he said, expect trouble. He said, but God will help you through it. He'll help you through it. He'll not remove the things away. And that's the truth. And because he spoke the truth to me, I went away and in the first few months and reading the Bible and things and difficulties come, even if I can remember it today, what he said, I'd have easily remembered it the months after when he said it. So it's true, we have to tell people the truth about the gospel, that things will come to test us. And we shouldn't be surprised by them. 1 Peter 4 verse 12 says this a little bit further on. It says, dear friends, do not... Be surprised. You can read that if you want. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. As though something strange were happening to you. Let me read that again. Dear friends, don't be surprised. 
Don't be surprised at the painful trial that you are now suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Basically, this scripture says this. He's already told us that we should expect trials, but then he goes on to reaffirm it and he says this. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that you get these things. Some of you may say, something strange is happening to me. I shouldn't be having these things. My tires shouldn't bust when I drive out of Ridgens. I should have known to go out. The Holy Spirit should have reminded me to go to the proper exit. You know, the, the Holy Spirit is supposed to remind me of all the good things. Why didn't he remind me about that? But what I learned is this, as I understand that God brings these things, I realize that my Christian walk, my relationship with God is nothing at all to do with what happens with me each day, with the the things that happen like that. We expect blessings. We can't relate the gospel to that because if we do, you will trip up tomorrow first thing in the morning when the first thing goes wrong. A few years back when we went to, we just got saved and we went to a conference, um, camping. We used to camp and go to these conferences. And I'll never forget this, that we, one day, we went into this meeting. You know what the conference is like, four or five thousand people in the worship's absolutely amazing and everything's great. And we went into this meeting and the guy preached a fantastic message, an amazing message that I came out and I was all fired up, just got saved. Walking out with the Bible, you know, this is great. I love being a Christian. That message was great. Love the worship. Can't wait to get back tonight. All the seminars this afternoon. What a fantastic place this is. To be on this camp in the presence of God. We went back to our tent to find that our tent had been burgled on a Christian camp. Had been burgled. Get it? A Christian camp and we'd been burgled. Robbed. Fully robbed. And the thing is, the most worrying thing or is the most upsetting thing was that they stole my soap bag with all my aftershaves in. All the nice things. They, they took a few odd things, but they took my soap bag with all my things, my mobile phone, unfortunately, for Emma. But they took all these things. And I just, we just looked and we were gutted. Honestly, it hit me so hard because I thought, why? Why is this happening to us? We've just been in a, an amazing meeting. We've just heard somebody speak about all the good things about God. We've seen the worship. We've sung his praises. You know, we should come back here. There should be angels around our tent. Why didn't they guard it? I'd have understood it if it had been me camping down in the middle of Cambridge. But on a Christian camp. We soon found out that we, we told people about this. And that people can come onto the camp. You know, it might not be Christians. It probably were. <laughs> but... <laughs> What I'm saying to you is this, we don't live in a bubble. We don't live in a heavenly bubble that sets us apart from all them things. We can't separate ourselves from them things. We were surprised. I was so shocked. Young Christian just got saved and everything's so good. But yet this happened. Somebody's nicked my stuff. Do you know what happened after that? We were with a group of people. And one of the guys is my friend. Saw him yesterday. He's been a very, very good friend of ours. A man of God. He came to me. Straight after that happened, and he gave to me his bottle of brand new aftershave, 40, 50 pound bottle of aftershave. A new man had gone, he gave it to me. 
He knew we'd just got saved. And people were offering things to us to give us everything back that we just lost. And what I want to tell you is that out of that, what does God show me? He doesn't show me I'm a God that brings trouble. I'm a God that you should expect trouble, but I'll tell you what he showed me. He showed me that love covers a multitude of sin. Love covers a multitude of sin. Whoever had done that, you know what happens when, if any of you get burgled or anything like that, the, the first thing that you do is you walk around and you, you look at everyone thinking you did it. You go to work next day and you thinking you knew that I got that, that new Nintendo Wii. Maybe it's my boss. Maybe it's him. And we're like that and we're really paranoid. You get paranoid about who it is. And I was walking around the camp not enjoying the rest of the conference thinking, these guys are not Christians. These are all thieves. But, what I come to realize not soon after what God did, he showed me far, far more in what through the people I was with, through the fellowship of others, than what had just been preached to me. Just in a meeting, he'd showed me far much more in that because he showed me that their love, if they could do that for me, they could accept that someone could come and steal from us. They didn't acknowledge and think this is a place where it's safe. They understood that trials can come, things can come that affect you. But the best thing to do is to love, 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 throw love. And I was just overwhelmed. We were overwhelmed. I still owe the guy a bottle of aftershave, but I was overwhelmed. Hallelujah. And you know, we can get into this heavenly bubble, can't we? We can get into a place where it's, we feel like we're in a heavenly bubble, protected by these things. I heard not so long back about a church that began to make changes in their church. They began to do different things. But one day this pastor was looking out into his congregation just as the congregation got up to meet each other and greet each other. And they all went to each other. He realized as he looked around the congregation that underneath the chairs and all around and the bags were all left. The mobile phones were all left on the chairs. The, everything, that the belongings that the Christians had come into this big place, everything was left there. And they went to greet each other, walking to the other side of the church. And he looked And you might say, that is amazing. That sounds like a good place to go. A safe place. A place where my belongings are in the presence of God. But he says he looked out and he saw these things and it hurt him. Because he realized that his church that he got was so protective and so safe with so many people that they'd never, they wouldn't even expect the person to come off the street that might steal. Everyone was so safe and secure with what they got. And I want to challenge you this morning, when you walk across there to the other side of the room, do you leave things? Do you think, you know, we're in a safe environment? Because we should never be like that. We should, I want the people to come in here to be the ones who steal. The people to, to come in here who drink. We want to see people get saved, don't we? We don't want it to just be us singing in a room and preaching in a room. Every week, we want to see people get saved. There's many, many people out there. And when that happens and these people come in, expect disruption. Expect it to be messed up. Because that's where it will be. We're citizens of heaven. And we're in a foreign land. Jesus he says that we're citizens of the heavenly realms. But we're in a foreign land. Expect trouble, Jesus said, didn't he? He said, you are on the earth. I'm going to the place. I'm going to the heavenly realm. You're citizens of there. How many of you know that many of you might be citizens of another country, but you came over here? You can have a citizenship in another place, but still be residing and living in another area. And that's where we are today. We have a citizenship of heaven. 
One day we're going to go there. Jesus says that in what we read earlier, it says that it won't spoil or fade. Your inheritance that will come. Your salvation that you're going to get is one day going to come to you. There'll be no suffering. There'll be no more tears. No more pain. That will come. I promise you that. One day we're going to hear the trumpet sound and Jesus is going to return. And he's going to call us up to him. And when he does that, there will be no more pain. But until then, expect trials. Don't be surprised by them. You read in in Acts 27 of Paul as he just got shipwrecked. And there's another example when he got shipwrecked and he was holding onto a plank of wood through the sea all night. And then he says he landed on Malta. How many of you, if I said to you, you're going to be a Christian and then in two months time, you're going to have to spend a night at sea holding a plank of wood. But he gripped onto that wood, I bet. And when he he washed up onto the shore at Malta, the amazing thing is this, even after a night on the sea, he says this, that he, there was built, they were building a fire and and a snake bit him. You know, if it's not enough to spend a night at sea, come on. If it's not enough to spend a night at sea, your troubles now are beginning to sound like really, really small. He then goes on to Malta and he gets bitten by a snake. The guys are watching to see when he's going to die. But he doesn't because he believes God. He believes Jesus that he won't die. But the amazing thing after all that, he doesn't give up. He says on that on Malta that they went to an official, uh, one of the guys on, on that land. And he prayed for sickness to, to be healed in his body. He was healed. Then all of the people on Malta started to come and healings took place. Massive meeting occurred. You know, sometimes it's when God will test you to see where you're at before he can even do anything through you. You know, I bet Pete could tell you many stories where God has tested him before any of the healing ministry came about. It doesn't just come overnight. He tests us to see where we're at. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Fix your eyes. Fix your eyes on them things, the things that are unseen. Not on the things around you. Not on the things that are failing. Not on the things that you're saying, why is these difficulties happening? Don't fix your eyes on them. Fix your eyes on the, on, on the citizenship of heaven. The place where you can't see. The place where Jesus said, I'm going, but you can't come. But you're going to be citizens. Because I'm going to buy the right to it. Point number two. I'm going to go through the next two points quickly. Because I really do want to finish on time. But reveals the real you. When God does these things, he reveals the real you. He brings out the real you. He tests us, don't be surprised by it, but he reveals the real you. And it says Peter acts, he acts before Jesus can even answer. He cuts the guy's ear off. He says, Jesus, should we we get our swords out? But he doesn't even wait for Jesus to answer and say, no, no, no. I don't want you to do this because I don't want to to build up an army. He he doesn't wait for the answer. He says, Jesus, shall we get our swords out? The guy's ear's gone. And it reveals our hearts. Sometimes we're like that. The trial comes before we've even gone upstairs to pray with God, to even ask him about the problems. We're already trying to find the solutions ourselves in our own ways and our own methods. That's what the enemy does. From day one, as soon as Adam and Eve had sinned, from day one, the enemy, all he ever wants to do is to get you to, 
to put God aside and to try and do it yourself, then you find you fail. And here Peter cuts his ear off. And Jesus is looking thinking, you've asked me a question but you didn't even give me time to answer. Don't you understand? If he'd have had the time, he'd have said, don't you understand what is about to happen here? Is my will. This is what I want. This is what was prophesied by many, many years ago. That this would happen. This very hour would happen. This is a crucial hour that the prophets would have loved to have seen. But yet you cut this guy's ear off. He would have said that. And he tries to intervene. And how many times do we do that? We intervene. We try to do our own methods. We try to do and change things ourselves. And we, we misunderstand Jesus' plan. We misunderstand the plans of God for our life. If you want the plans of God, expect the trials and go through them asking God to help you. You know, it's difficult sometimes financially. I find it very difficult when we had Jacob and we, we knew that our, Emma's salary would go down and things were going to get tough for us. It was like, almost like a financial drought. It was very difficult. And especially in a time now where the whole of, of England and you hear the news is saying, don't spend, we need to be careful with cash. And it's so difficult to, to give your tithe and to give to God when you're in, a, in this drought period. But now's the time to give, isn't it? The, the, the world might say that, but the Spirit's saying to us to give. Keep giving, keep giving, because I will flood, I will bless you. But don't you see, first you have to go through the trial and God tests the heart, but it reveals the real you. Do you really, really trust God? You know, I've had some real problems with sometimes trusting God myself. I find it difficult, but when I do, I'll tell you, he always shows me that he was right. Always. Always right. And God needs to test us before he can use us. James 1 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Remember, Peter said this, that the reason for it is to test you, to refine you like, to refine your faith like gold. That's how he relates it to gold. And you know this, Proverbs 17 says this, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. He tests the heart. The crucible is this. If you look on, on Google, you type in and Wikipedia, you'll find many, many things about the, the methods of purifying gold. And it says this, that they used to, many, many years ago, apart from a lot of the things that happen in, in today's day and age, many, many years ago in a crucible, they used to throw lead into the gold. And it, at the temperature, it would separate and bring all the impurities to the top of the gold. That's how they would separate it. They'd throw in the lesser metal. The lead was the lesser metal that they'd throw in. And for some reason, I did very, very poor at science. I've got no idea what I'm talking about. But for, for some reason, for some reason, it tells me on Google, not my science teacher, but it tells me on Google that it says that it separates and it brings out the impurities. And you know, God, that's what this is telling us here. It's saying that the trials, the lesser metal, the thing that doesn't seem as nice, as, as, as glowing and as beautiful as the gold, the, the lesser metal comes in. And it takes out the impurities. And your suffering may not look so good. Your things that you're going through may not look so good. But it says that it will bring out the impurities and it will refine you like gold. To be more malleable and to be, to be used by God. 
We know that, God is a, uh, that gold is a very malleable metal, very soft. And God wants to use you and, and to mold you. And he uses these things to strip away the impurities. Paul said, I delight in weakness. Weaknesses and in, in, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions and in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. And he's looking for us to persevere through these trials. He's looking for us to, to stand up to these trials. Paul says this, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, character and hope. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you know, it, oh, and it, what we read in that story is that even after, when he intervenes and he cuts the guy's ear off, he says that Jesus touches the guy and he heals his ear. How many times has, has God cleaned up your mess? How many times have you cut people's ear off? How many times have you intervene, intervened quickly without even asking God? But it says he, in his grace and his mercy, he wants to heal. He wants to pick up and put together what you've messed up. So there's a second chance for us, isn't there? And we need to remember that. Next time trials come, to not intervene, to ask God to help us. Number three, last point. It's time to pray and not run away. It's time to pray to not run away. We see that the answer, the key to it all, is is prayer. Jesus is praying in the garden. And not only is he praying, but his disciples are praying as well. Just a a short uh, stone throw away from him, uh, praying together. And if we want to learn to persevere, we need to learn to pray, don't we? We need to learn to pray in the difficult times. It's very, very difficult, but that's what we need. It's the key. That is the answer. If you wanted to find an answer, a solution to all this, that is it. It's prayer. Time with God. That's why next week, it's it's an important week for us to pray, isn't it? Prayer is not something like, I'm going to have a week off now. Prayer is so important for us. It's the time when God meets with us and he helps us and builds us up. And he says, don't be tempted to run away. He says, he says to them, don't be tempted. But he saw that they were tired from sorrow. And as I said earlier, it says that if they were tired from sorrow, they weren't just tired, but they were tired because they'd heard the news. Their difficulties, the things that they'd seen that Jesus was about to suffer, everything was falling around them. They were tired, not because it was late, but because they were sorrowful of the suffering that they were seeing, of everything falling down around them. That's why they couldn't pray. And it might be the same for you this morning, that you cannot pray. Because it's so difficult for you. You can't even walk upstairs into your bedroom to pray because you've given up. You might be here every week singing the songs. But you've given up. And I just encourage you this morning. Pray. It's what Jesus taught them to do. It's not for a quick fix, is it? We're not looking for prayer to bring quick fixes. But it's a process. As I mentioned earlier, the guy with AIDS who who, um, would have died. The pastor said this, that for one year they prayed in the church. One year that AIDS would be gone. But after one year, he gets the phone call. And he trusts God and it's perseverance in praying. We need to persevere. But what we see here is what Jesus says in his prayer. When he prays to his father and he says this, take away the suffering. Take away this cup. If it's your will, remove this cup of suffering. He asks him. He asks him, he says the same things we probably say sometimes. In his weakness, he says, God, Father, take this suffering away from me. If you can, remove it. And what is his answer? What is the Father's answer? He doesn't say, I'm going to change it. Jesus knew that it was to bring a hope and a joy for all of us sat here today. 
But the father did this. It says in verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him, to Jesus, and strengthened him. It doesn't say God the Father sent angels down and picked him up and removed him from that trouble and, and, and thought of another way of doing it. He says this, that he sent an angel to strengthen him. That's the key. Your troubles will not be removed. Jesus says, pray. And it says even after that, he prayed more earnestly. The angel comes, let me tell you, if, an, if you've got some troubles this afternoon and you go back home and you go into your room and you pray and you, you still find it hard, but you, you're praying and then an angel appears in your room to strengthen you, I bet you'll be here next week testifying on the stage that an angel's been in your room to strengthen you. But it says Jesus, after seeing the angel come before him to give him strength, he says he then prayed more earnestly. He kept on praying. And he says his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. God will give us strength to endure. He did that with Stephen as he endured the stoning. He says that Stephen saw the heavenly realms. He will give us strength to keep going. And to keep on praying is to be patient, isn't it? And the reward for that is supernatural strength, not strength and ability. It's not like you go to the gym and you work yourself up. God will give you supernatural strength. The key to your problems now is to go and pray. It's not at the front of this church. It's not prayer lines. Many, many things we see in prayer lines. It's good to be prayed for. People go down in the spirit and they go. But let me tell you, the better thing that I can encourage you this morning is this. To pray in your own private place. We can pray for you this morning and you can you could get a word from God. But I'll tell you, there's no better thing that you can do this morning than to go home and pray about your trouble. Pray more earnestly. And when God gives you strength, don't give up. Pray again. Because when you do that, you will find that when you look back in two, three years time that you got through the period. You got through it. And that's the key, isn't it? The word of God says this, doesn't it? But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles and they shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not be faint. Hallelujah. Maybe you're struggling with trials today. Maybe you've got difficulties no one knows about in here and you don't have to share anything with anyone because we've all got them. But I encourage you this morning. Jesus persevered and he prayed, didn't he? He prayed and prayed that the strength would come. And I encourage you this morning. My word to you, when I felt that God gave me this message, is this, to encourage you to pray through these times of difficulty. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says this, finally. As I bring it to a close, it says this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy of... For the joy set before him, enduring the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says that for the joy, he had a joy to suffer for you. For the joy set before him, let me tell you, that is your trial this morning that you were surprised by. Is it a joy, as James says, rejoice when you get trials. Is it a joy? We should rejoice even when in trouble because we know that there's something far greater that we believe in. Far, it makes the problem so small when we believe in such a big God. And he says, let us fix our eyes. And I encourage you this morning, let's just stand and let's just pray But as we finish. But I want to encourage you this morning to fix your eyes 
Fix your eyes on the King of Kings this morning. Fix your eyes on the things that are unseen. Not the things that are seen. Not the things that are around you now that are difficulties. There's many people in here probably this morning who are probably thinking, you don't understand my problem though. I've been going through this for years. I've been fighting battles for years. You don't understand my problem, Phil. We're finding life such a struggle. How can you say that? How can you say these things? Where's our God at this time? God is real. God knows every single thing about you. He even knows the number of hairs upon your head, doesn't he? If he knows the number of hairs upon your head this morning, how much more does he know about the trouble you're going through? Let me tell you this morning, God's spirit is here now. I don't want to bring anyone forward to pray, and I'm going to hand back to Pete in a minute, but I just want to do this. I just want to pray for you all. If anyone does want to come forward for prayer, I'm quite more than happy to pray. I'm more than happy to pray. But I just want to pray for you all now that God will give you, not only strengthen you, but will give you the ability to pray in your own private place because that is where it happens, not my prayer. I want to pray that you'll be strengthened and you'll, you'll feel encouraged to do that. If you want to come after and speak to me and Pete or you want to be prayed for if there's something that you are going through a difficult time at the moment, well, it's a good day to do that. It's a good day for us to pray for you and we'll, we'll ask God to, to help you. Hallelujah. Father God, Father God, we thank you this morning. We thank you this morning, Lord, that your presence is here. Father, we thank you this morning that your precious Holy Spirit is there to strengthen us. That, Lord, you know that we will go through difficult times. We will go through difficult times, Lord. But, Father, I just pray this morning that through all the trials, the tribulations, the things that every single person in this room is going through, things that they, they don't even want to mention, the, the, the things that challenge them day by day, the things that sometimes they feel they can't even get up on the morning because it's so hard. Father, I pray right now for strength to be poured out upon every single person in this room. A, a supernatural strength, the same strength that came from the angel that met Jesus in the garden. I pray for the same strength now to fill people's hearts, Lord. I pray for it to fill people's hearts, Lord. And I just pray that, that you will encourage them, Lord, to step into that private place to the, where they can meet with you. And Lord, I pray that when they do that, Lord, they won't find it hard. But as Jesus said, that he prayed earnestly, even when he found it difficult to pray, even when the disciples found it difficult, that Lord, these guys won't find it hard, but they will find it easy to pray. And I pray that you will help them through these trials. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks, Pete.